we've just finished up Easter. We've made our way through the whole season leading up to, uh, to Easter Sunday last week. Had a great time celebrating together and a great time leading up. We looked through the Gospel of John and we looked at how Jesus approached the cross looking for that hour that was coming for Him. An hour when everything changed. Not just for Him, but an hour when everything changed for us as well. An hour when defeat was turned to victory, when despair became hope, and where death became life. And an hour where the lost were found. And Jesus summed up that hour in His own words on the cross, His final words on the cross, it is finished. And we looked to the empty tomb, and we declared last week that Christ had won for us. And then I came into the office this week, and... Uh, my preaching, my preaching magazine came in. There's all the latest sermons in it. And, uh, and on the back of the preaching magazine, I, I found this advertisement for a new book. And it says, churches all across America are dying. And it's a, it's a new book by Tom Rainer. And I, I love reading Tom Rainer's stuff. I read his blog all the time. And, and the name of his new book is Autopsy of a Deceased church. And I, I can't say that something like that is unusual. You know, I, I see articles like that all the time on my desk every day. Churches are in decline. There are churches that are dying. And, and on top of that, we see immorality everywhere and sin just all over the place. And what are kids thinking these days? You know, everybody's all up in arms. Churches are, are just not effective. But I thought at the moment, at coming down from the high of Easter, how do I view victory in Jesus? How do I view the victory of the cross and still understand churches all across America are dying? And I have to say, I'm, I'm not some kind of Pollyanna who just wants to stick my fingers in my ears and say, la, 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 everything's fine. Everything's fine. I, I know that, that there are problems in this world. There's problems in our country. There's you know, the reality is that, that churches are hurting. And I can be as realistic as the next guy. I can, I can be as pessimistic as the next guy. But somehow, the hope of Easter has to go beyond the empty tomb. It has to go beyond just what we celebrated last week. And it needs to energize us. It needs to energize believers. It needs to activate the church and get us busy bringing hope to other people. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, excuse me, verses 7 through 13. If you're using the Bibles in the pews there in front of you, it's page 977. And those of you who were in my Sunday school class this morning, you're going to say, oh, this is what he told. This is the same stuff. Yeah, I told my Sunday school class they could sleep through this, but they better not. Because uh, for the next few weeks, Sunday school and... Uh, Sunday school class and the sermons are going to kind of mesh together. They're going to go hand in hand. If you'd like to join us in our class, we have donuts and coffee, and uh, we're going to uh, be talking about doing church as a team, doing ministry as a team. We're going to examine what it means to serve together, uh, to do the work of the church, and how do we take the victory that Jesus won on the cross and how do we impact our neighbors' lives, the lives of the people around us, the people that we love? How do we be the church? How do we do what we're supposed to do? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. 
Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's interesting looking through Ephesians. I think that grace must be one of Paul's favorite words. It certainly is one of my favorite words. I think it must be one of Paul's favorite words, especially in his letter to the Ephesians. Six chapters in the letter to the Ephesians, and in six chapters, Paul uses the word grace 11 times. It sounds like it must be very important if he uses it that much. And he uses it in in different ways, and we need to understand this, that there are two different kinds of grace that Paul speaks of in his letter to the Ephesians. One is saving grace. We're very familiar with saving grace. And in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, Paul talks about how Christ has lavished his grace upon us. He's just kind of smeared us with grace. You weren't saved by the skin of your teeth. You weren't barely saved. You didn't just almost make it to heaven. Grace was lavished on you, completely covered you, were completely saved. But here in chapter 4, in verse 7, it's not that grace was lavished on us, but rather grace was apportioned to us. And rather than saving grace, we might think of this as serving grace. This is grace that allows us to serve, that equips us to serve. Uh, it, it enables us to be the church. It enables us to have different roles, different functions, different gifts. And the beauty of serving grace, equipping grace, is that it means that the service that we do, the things that we do in the church, they go beyond ourselves. It goes beyond your talents. It goes beyond your abilities. And and it truly is a service to God, but it's also from God. He has equipped you to do these things. And, And I think that in itself addresses some of the big issues as to why churches are dying. Because people are afraid. They're afraid, well, if what if nobody likes what I do? <laughs> what if I serve and it goes horribly, horribly wrong? What if something bad happens? Uh, and those kind of fears, fear of failure, fear of being inadequate, those kind of fears kill churches. They keep us from being effective. What we carry to the church from the empty tomb is the reality that God has not just called us to serve, He has given you everything you need to serve. That's what energizes us. That's what empowers us. And so the message that we take from Easter to the church is that Jesus won so that we can win. Jesus won over death, over the grave, so that we could win in our world. You know, we often say the church is the body of Christ, but do we really understand what that implies? Do we get the implications of the church being the body of Christ. It means that we should be busy doing the things that Jesus would do. If we're the body of Christ, we should be busy doing the work of Christ in the name of Christ with the strength of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, 
Jesus gives us his final marching orders. We have the, the Great Commission. Remember what Jesus tells us, tells his disciples at the very end? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore I send you. You go and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and I will be with you always to the end of the earth. Starts out with all authority has been given to me, and I will be with you always to the end of the earth. On one level, we realize that our effectiveness as, as a church and our effectiveness as individual Christians and the things that we do, that starts with Jesus' effectiveness. Your effectiveness starts with Jesus' effectiveness. He won so that we could win. How effective is the blood of Christ to save? It's powerful. It's, it's all there is that, that can save us. It's all there is that we can rely on. How effective is this power to touch people's lives? It's incredibly powerful. This is why Peter says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power, Jesus' divine power, has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What else do you need? You have the power of Christ. You have the victory of Jesus. You have His divine power. That's what Paul is talking about here in chapter 4. Look again at verse 7. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Well, in saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended to the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And again, this is not saving grace. This is serving grace. This is equipping grace. Verse 7 says that it's given to us according to the measure. The gifts that we use to serve, the gifts we use to serve each other, the gifts we use to serve our friends, to serve our world, to serve our community, they come from the hand of Christ himself. And as you grow in, as a Christian, as you grow in your Christ-likeness, as you understand more and more God's call and his equipping on your life, you're going to grow in those gifts. You'll be occupied more and more with the things that Jesus would be doing if Jesus were here. Because you know what? Jesus is here. We are the body of Christ. And just to back up how effective this equipping grace is, Paul takes us back to Easter. Takes us back to the resurrection. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also had to descend. He also had to come to earth. And in that, he connected to us. He, he came to know us. He came to understand us. And then he ascended higher than the highest to the throne of God with all authority, with all power, and with all majesty. And the one who now sits at the right hand of God is the one who chose you, the one who saved you, and the one who equipped you to serve. There is tremendous confidence in that statement. I hope you hear the confidence that's there because we have confidence in Christ, right? You and I, we, we trust Jesus. You all trust Jesus, right? Okay, we, we trust Jesus. Sometimes I let myself down. Sometimes I let you guys down. I mean, that, that's going to happen. We're going to do that. But we, we have confidence in Christ. We may not always be confident in our own ability. We may, may not always be confident in what other people are going to say and, and what other people are going to think. I, 
Are they going to like this sermon? You know, are, are they going to understand it? Are they going to get it? Are, are they going to throw stuff at me? You know, what, what's, I've, I've got all the bricks right here. They can't throw bricks. I know that. Are they going to understand? Are they going to like it? Are they going to get the point? But the fact is, the service that you offer is given to you by Christ. The service that we do is given to us by Christ. It's performed with Christ's power through you and in you. Therefore, you know that the results of whatever you do, the result of whatever service you offer, is going to be blessed because it's done through Christ. And Christ always blesses. Jesus won so that we could win. His victory over the grave is what empowers us. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. It's not just that that Jesus calls us to serve, though. It's not just that he called us to serve in this world. Paul shows us that Jesus equipped us so that we could serve. I like the way Paul tackles gifts in this section. Because he really gets to the heart of what spiritual gifts are all about. Too often when we start talking about gifts, we start talking about who's more important than who. Well, who's really important here? Well, my gift is preaching, so I am more important than that person who comes in every week and makes sure that the flowers are watered. I'm much more important than that person, right? No. <laughs> you guys wouldn't let me get away with that anyway, would you? No, that's, that's not the point of gifts. Sometimes we start talking about gifts, we start... Well, let's just admit it. We start getting a little weird when we talk about spiritual gifts, don't we? We start talking about spiritual gifts, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, you're one of those people. You're one of those spiritual gift people. I'm, I'm going to stand over here. I'm going to stand away from you a little bit, and I'm going to be over this side, and I'll let you be your spiritual gift person over there. You know, we get a little weird about spiritual gifts every now and then. What Paul focuses here to get us started on the, the topic he focuses on the foundational gifts. He lays the foundation of the church for us. Just like these blocks right here that I had. I had Ed bring these blocks in for me because I knew Ed would do that for me. He's a nice guy. And those, blocks, the, those blocks form a, a, a strong, firm foundation. And, and they're immovable when they're, when they're laid right. They, they will stay in place and you can build on top of them. And the beautiful thing is once you've laid the firm foundation... You can build with all kinds of things. You can use bricks. Uh, you could use wood. You can use steel. You can use stained glass. You can put whatever you want on top of a firm foundation, and it won't move. And you can build beautiful things on a firm foundation. But without a foundation, it will fall. Without a foundation, it will fail, and it will fall. So Paul is making a point here. Every Christian who has ever lived, no matter how they individually were gifted, no matter how they were serving, every Christian who has ever lived has been influenced by these gifts, by the foundation that was laid by the apostles, by the prophets, by evangelists, by those who went out and shared the gospel, who continue to go out and share the gospel, and by shepherds, the local leaders, and teachers, the local teachers within the church. Shepherds who, who know our hearts. Teachers who instruct us. Your gift may be wildly different than mine. But as we all begin on the same foundation, Paul puts us all on the same level because we're all serving as Christ apportioned us to serve. And since they all come from the same source, 
all of our gifts, all of the different services that we offer are useful. This is why, this is why here in this church, we put a lot of emphasis on the Word of God. This is why we stress the Bible. This is why you have Bibles in front of you. There should be no excuse for anyone to not have a Bible, to not be able to read, well, you know, to, to at least have access to a Bible. With a strong foundation supporting us, we have a promise of victory. Paul says that these gifts equip us. He says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That word equip there. It's a, it's a medical term. It means to knit together. And it was a word that doctors would use back then for when someone broke a bone. If you broke your leg or you broke an arm, first thing the doctor's got to do is set that bone, right? Put it back together just right before it can start healing. But once that bone is set right, which can be painful, but once it's set, it will knit, it will knit together. It will grow together. And in the end, it will be stronger in that spot than it was before. Your gifts may be different, but, but when we use those gifts together, we are stronger together. By calling each one of us to serve, by equipping each of us to serve, he's given us everything that we need to be knit together, to hold on to one another, to support each other, so that we can see the church grow and mature in the way that Jesus has called it, so that we get to win together. Not just so that I get a win, not just so that you get to win, but that we get to win together. And when we all get to win together, you see, when we serve, we look like Jesus. When we serve, we look like Jesus in our world. There's something about foundations that you need to understand, and this is important, and I've struggled this week with how to communicate this, and I hope you hear this for what it's worth, and I hope you can understand this. Very important about foundations. No one should ever look at your foundation. <laughs> no one should ever see your foundation. Okay? Foundations are intended to be built upon. Now, our foundation uh, is the truth. Our foundation is the Word of God. And you're sitting there going, are you telling us to hide the Word of God? Are you telling us that we shouldn't tell people the truth? That we shouldn't be uh, about the Word of God and about the truth that we stand on so firmly? No, I'm not telling you that. Nobody brags about how great a foundation their house has. And the point isn't to talk about how great our foundation is. There's a lot of Christians out there, out there, there's a lot of people in this world, they have the truth, and they know they have the truth, and they want to make sure everybody else knows they have the truth too. And they never build anything on the truth. All they do is beat people over the head with the truth. You know what I'm talking about? And every time it happens, we all collectively look bad, okay? Jesus didn't save you so you could be right, okay? Jesus saved you so you could be Jesus. <laughs> Jesus saved you so you could serve. Jesus saved you so you could look like Jesus. And the last thing this world needs is for people coming around saying, we're right, you're wrong, and you're going to hell because of the things that you're doing. The way you're living your life, all those things that you think are okay are wrong, and I can show you why, and I'm right. That doesn't save people. That's not how we are supposed to build on top of our foundation. The church isn't here to be right. The church is here to be Jesus. 
Do you get that? Is that easy to understand? Too many people want to show off the foundations. The point is we're supposed to build on top of the truth. And we're supposed to build something beautiful. We're supposed to build something useful. We're supposed to build things that serve the way that Jesus serves. Christians like to rant, don't we? We like to rant and rave about the problems. We like to rant and rave about sin and evil. And did you hear what they're doing in the news? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And kids today getting in trouble. The point, and they point to their foundation and they say, we're right. We are right. But what are we doing about it? What alternatives are we giving this world? What alternatives are we giving our community? Are we building something that's going to get them out of the mess that they're in? Are we building something that's going to give them hope? What are we doing for our community, for this town, for the people that we know, that the people that we care about? What are we doing in Kansas that is what Jesus would be doing if he was in Kansas? Because you know what? Jesus is in Kansas. This is the body of Christ, right? Jesus is in Kansas. So what are we doing in Kansas that Jesus would be doing in Kansas? Paul says the goal of our being equipped, the goal of our standing on this firm foundation and being equipped and knit together is, in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Those are some big words. And let me simplify it. The church ought to look like Jesus. That's what he's saying. The church ought to look like Jesus. We ought to look like the body of Christ. We ought to be doing the things that Jesus did in our world, in our community. That's why he gave us the victory, so that we could have victory. Not, Jesus gave us the victory so that we could have victory. Jesus didn't give us the victory so we could be right. Okay? That's why he called us together, so that we could serve together. That's why he equipped us with gifts, so that we could be like him. It's easy to complain. There's a lot of stuff we could complain about. It's easy to look at the church and say, ah, it's in decline, churches are dying, churches aren't effective. It's easy to sit around and, and complain about that stuff. And it's easy to look at the world and complain and say, the world's just going to hell, you know? Things are getting worse and worse, and there's sin, and there's this, and there's that, and I can't believe what they're saying here and there. I, I looked through the lists of spiritual gifts. I did. I, I looked through all the list of spiritual gifts. I cannot find one single gift of complaining in the Bible. Did you know that? It's not a gift of complaint. So if there's not a gift of complaint, then where do they get their power? Where do they get their authority? Because if Jesus isn't giving out gifts of complaint, who gives out gifts of complaint? Who's, who's doing that? Who's handing those out? Shouldn't that tell us something? And it's so easy for us to forget. Jesus promised us victory. We, we have that promise of victory. Jesus won so that we could win. Jesus equipped us. He called us together. And you know, maybe if we started doing that, maybe if we started serving, maybe if we, maybe if we started doing the things that Jesus called us to do, we wouldn't have time to complain. And maybe if we really got busy doing those things that he called us to do, maybe we wouldn't have anything to complain about at all. Maybe those things would just kind of fall away. 
our community has taken a big hit this year. Kansas has taken some really big hits this year. The biggest news out of Kansas in 2014, the biggest news is what Kansas doesn't have. The biggest news out of this town is we don't have any money. We don't have enough money to keep a school open. In fact, our teachers had to take pay cuts. Teachers and other people in the school had to take pay cuts. Our school is in trouble. The teachers who teach our kids, are, you, I don't know if you know this or not, but I grew up in Kansas. I don't know if you know that. And uh, I liked growing up in Kansas. And I like having my children grow up in Kansas. I know that they're taken care of at the school. I know that they are loved. I know that they are appreciated. And I appreciate all that their teachers do for them. And I enjoy having them down there. And I, I see the notes of appreciation on the Facebook page. I see how much appreciation there is for our teachers. And, and in the newspaper, the Oakland newspaper had some wonderful things last week about the Kansas teachers and their willingness to take a pay cut. But you know what else I hear? I, I hear complaints. I hear a lot of complaints about it too. I think we can do something better than complain. I think maybe we ought to do something better than complain. Now, I've explained to you guys that I am not a math whiz. That's why I married my wife. She does the math. She should have done the math when she considered what she was gaining from marrying me. She wasn't doing that much math that day. I'm not a math whiz. I don't know what 8% looks like. I really don't. And and I don't know what that amounts to with, with what teachers make. But I can imagine that if I had to cut my salary by 8%, I think I would feel it, you know? I think the first place I would feel it is in something that I enjoyed doing. That there would be something that gave me a little bit of joy, a little bit of happiness, that I would give up. That's the first thing that I would give up. And, and I would feel that, you know? I just I wouldn't have that anymore. And, uh, and also, if, if I had to give up 8%, I would want to know that it was worth it. I would want to know that there were people that appreciated what I was giving up. On the table back here, Dave's got them, but we're going to put them on the back table. There's a stack of thank you cards. Um, there's only a few. I think there's maybe 12 altogether. We'll get more. I have a great source for thank you cards. I don't know what it's like in your house, but in my house, when we get a Shirley card... I mean, you know, they always have those commercials about Hallmark that if people flip them over and look to see if it was a Hallmark card. When it's a Shirley card, we all go, oh, it's a Shirley card. Somebody loves me. They sent me a Shirley card. We have thank you cards back there. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take one. Like I say, there's only about 12. We'll get more. But I'm going to ask you to take one of those thank you cards and fill it out. Here's what I wrote in mine. And, you know, feel free to use this. It says, just a note to let you know that you are appreciated. Thank you, for all, thank you for your service and sacrifice for our community and our kids, your friends at the Kansas Christian Church. Um, now, in addition, I went up to the junction and I bought a $25 gift card. Uh, and you're like, well, I don't know if I can afford a $25 gift card. You know, I fully expect that by the time I leave here today that there's going to be several bills shoved in my pocket. Well, in my hand. I'll put it in my pocket myself. You don't have to do that. 
But I know how you guys like to give. I, I like the idea of using a, a BP card because the money stays here in Kansas that way, or at least it, it could. It could stay here in Kansas. If you want to give a Walmart gift card, if you want to give a Red Lobster gift card, I, you know, whatever you think a teacher might want. But I like the idea of doing this because, you know, that's maybe almost half a tank of gas. That's maybe some lunch for the week. I know teachers, it's probably going to be candy for the kids in their class or maybe a pizza because the kids have been good. But over the course of the next four weeks as we talk about service, I want us to bless the socks off everybody that's down there who's taken an 8% cut. Can we do that? Can we? Is that okay? Is that right? Yeah? You guys okay? You guys sound okay. Yeah. Are you with me? Can we do that? Okay. Thank you. And here's something else I want to happen. I want tomorrow or sometime this week, I want Darren and Mary to wonder down at the junction, what's going on? Why are we out of gift cards? And what are those people at the Christian church doing with all those gift cards? It'd be real easy to get discouraged. If someone told you, you're not going to have as much money this year as you had last year. We're taking 8% away from you. It would be very easy to get discouraged. And after a while, it'd be very easy to say, it's just not worth it anymore. I know this isn't 8%. I'm not that bad at math. But it means something. And it means something that it's coming from you. It means something that it's going to encourage people, that it's going to bless them. I've asked you to take a card. Do the same. And, and Camille is, I've already conned Camille into helping out with this. Camille is going to distribute these kind of anonymously and randomly. I don't want you guys giving Camille a card and saying, give this to my favorite teacher or make sure this person doesn't get one. We're going to trust that Camille can do this randomly, and we're going to trust that Jesus is going to bless this. And not only is Jesus going to bless, but you're going to bless. Because He has equipped you to do the work of the ministry. He has equipped you to serve others, to bless others. And when you give yourself to Him, not only are you going to be busy doing new things, Not only are you going to find new things to keep yourself busy, but when you give yourself to Him, you're going to find yourself becoming that blessing. Because Jesus is in you. Because Christ is in you. And therefore, Christ has equipped you. Christ has empowered you. Christ has gifted you. Jesus comes to bless. When you touch other people's lives, you're going to bless them also. We're going to start out by blessing those those teachers down there. Blessing those people down there who have taken that cut. We're going to let them know that Kansas Christian Church appreciates them, that we support them, that we love them, and we are thankful for what they're doing. We're going to pray right now. Thank you. Thank you guys. You guys are the ones doing it. I already did it. (laughs) I think we can do that together. I think we can give that kind of support and that kind of love to people who mean so much to us.